Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. How many of you did not hear last week's message, which was part one of why bad things happen to good people? How many did not hear it? Raise your hand. Okay. So I'm going to do a really quick overview. And then we're going to continue into part two of why bad things happen to good people. How many have ever heard that question? All right. Now, here's the thing. When most people hear that question, they don't actually ask that question. What they're asking is, why did that one thing happen to that one person? Or why did that one thing happen to me? So when I try to answer Because there are a lot of different reasons why things have happened. Some people will look at that and be like, well, I don't think that applies to my situation. And you might be right. It might not. As we go through here, you need to recognize that we're going to talk about some of, many of the reasons, not an exhaustive, perfectly complete list, but many of the big reasons why bad things happen to good people. And if you're thinking of a particular situation, you need to use wisdom and Bible says in James, ask for wisdom and you receive it. So pray. If you have a certain situation in your mind, then I invite you to pray and say, God, give me wisdom so that I can recognize what if any of these situations apply to the situation that I have in mind. Do you understand? This is an interactive learning experience. I'm not just going to stuff the answer right down your throat. You're going to need to ask the Holy Spirit to show you which things apply to your situation. One of the reasons that people get so bent out of shape about this, we talked about there are a couple of extreme views that throw people off. One of those is the extreme sovereignty concept, which is everything that ever happens is exactly what God wanted to happen to me. And when you have that perspective and you get fired, you're like, you mean God created the entire universe because he wanted one day for me to get crushed? He want, this is exactly the pinnacle of his plan. And when people have that mindset, a lot of people get offended with God. And they say, he did everything so that this would happen. This was his point. And we recognize that the Bible says God desires that all people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do we know, will every person repent of their sin? No. But that's what God desires. So we recognize not everything that takes place is exactly what God desired for the situation. And the other situation, and I use this example and I'll refer back to it, so I wanna make this illustration again. Think about a kid at Christmas time who has siblings. How many of you had siblings? How many of you remember when one of your siblings got a present that you thought was better? Okay, now, but I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine a, a really good family, parents who went the extra mile, made sure that everyone got what they wanted, and then, one of the kids opens up his present first and the other one throws an absolute fit before he even opens his that it's not fair. We need to recognize that as we go through life, there will be moments when our present hasn't been opened yet. And if we throw a fit and say that this isn't fair, God's looking down there and being like, wait a minute. We're not to the point yet where you open your present. There is a verse, 1 Timothy 5.24 says, Some men's sins are clearly evident, 
preceding them to judgment, but some, but those of some men follow later. What he's saying is, we look at it and say, well, they did bad things and they seem to be, their life seems to be doing okay, and so-and-so seems to be doing good things and their life isn't going as good as, they don't have as big a bank account, they don't have as, as many positive coincidences happening in their life, they must not, and God says, you know what? Sometimes the consequences of sin are evident even before judgment. Sometimes it's not evident yet, but there is justice coming. And God says he will reward those who do diligently. So we had the, the, those things, I'm just really capping. We talked about free will. If you wanna hear about that, go to last week's message or go a couple weeks before when Pastor Emily did an entire message on free will. We also talked about the fact that there are mysteries. There are mysteries. I, I don't wanna come across with a theology that says I have the answer to absolutely everything. The Bible does say that for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. There are things that we won't fully understand, but God desires us to understand a lot, and he gives us a lot. We also recognize that sin entered the world, and through sin, many consequences. We recognize that Satan is the enemy. The Bible says he's like a thief going around seeking to steal, kill, and destroy, seeking whom he may devour. Um, but the Bible says that Jesus, that God, it says every good and perfect gift comes from above, with whom there is no shadow of turning. We recognize that doing foolish things brings bad results. And we closed last week talking about the power of our words to impact our reality. We looked at the 10 spies, or the 12 spies, the 10 who spoke negatively and didn't enter the land, and the two who spoke positively. Why did the bad things happen to the 10 and all the Israelites who followed them? Because they spoke against God's will. God wanted them to go in, but they spoke, and the Bible says that they received what they said. All right, starting with the new topics for this week. It only took me five minutes to cover that, so... If you want the, the longer version, go back and listen to last week. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15 says, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. The Bible says that a root of bitterness can spring up, and it says the result of a root of bitterness is trouble for many. Not, listen to this, not just the bitter person, but many, many. When we refuse to forgive, we are causing problems. We are causing problems. I just had the privilege yesterday of doing the wedding for some friends of mine. They, they were previous neighbors, they were married, had just rough, you know, neither one of them was treating the other the way they thought that they should be treated. They separated, got divorced, recognized the need for forgiveness, came back and they just got remarried yesterday. And I was just so privileged 
to be a part of that wedding. First one I've done barefoot, by the way. I showed up and the groom and the bride and all of the, they were all barefoot. And I said, well, is that like the uniform? They said, well, you don't have to, but yeah, we're going barefoot. I said, okay. So I kicked off my shoes. But what I wanted to point out is, is something that I read there. When, when the Pharisees went to Jesus and they were talking about, they were trying to, the Bible says they were trying to trick him. And they said, can we divorce and remarry anybody we want? And history tells us that they would marry and then find any old excuse, divorce and remarry. And so they'd be with lots of different wives, never having been unfaithful or had an extramarital affair. And Jesus looked at them and said, that's not God's plan. They were using the law to try to get around the intent. And he said, no, God desires you to stay married. And then they said, well, then why did, Moses, did God give, or why did God allow Moses to give us divorce? Because if you look back in scripture, God did say, hey, Moses, this is, this is divorce. This is how a marriage ends. And they said, well, what's with that? And Jesus responded. This is the interesting part. He didn't say, nobody. You know, some marriages just can't last because, you know, they picked the wrong person. Some people are too big of a jerk. This is what he said. He said, it is because of the hardness of your hearts. Jesus said the kryptonite of marriage is unforgiveness. That's what he said. He said, I see somebody nodding on the front row who had a similar experience, who knows that we have to forgive. If you don't forgive in your marriage, you are, like, think of your marriage as Superman. Unforgiveness is the kryptonite. You're sticking it right in the breakfast cereal. It's, it's there. The Bible says it is when, when we refuse to forgive. It doesn't matter if you refuse to forgive over balling up the socks and missing the laundry basket or whether it's something bigger. When you choose to not forgive, Jesus said, that is the path. That is what made divorce even necessary in the first place. If it's hardness of heart. Peter went to Jesus and he said, Lord, how often should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Whoa. And then he goes on to tell the story of the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who went to settle his accounts. How many remember the story of the unforgiving servant? So this man owes the king just a ton of money. And he goes before the king and the king says, I have a right to throw you in jail for the huge sum of money that you owe. And he says, please forgive me. And he says, okay, I'll forgive you. And that man goes out and someone who owes him, instead of years worth of wages, a week's worth of wages, but can't pay it. And he has that man thrown in prison. And then the king hears about it calls back the man who he forgave and he said, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. This is verse 33. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Revelation. We don't forgive people because they deserve it. 
Say that with me. I don't forgive because they deserve it. We forgive because we were forgiven. Forgiveness is a response to God's love and forgiveness. If we go into life looking around, well, I don't know. I mean, he cut me off, but does he deserve to be forgiven? I mean, does he have any like redeeming bumper stickers on there? Can I see any signs that, you know, should I forgive this person? Do they deserve to be forgiven? What's the facial expression they give me as I drive by? Because if they look like they don't regret what they did, then I'm not going to forgive them. Right? The people at work that have, have done us wrong have, have not treated us the way they should have, didn't give us the promotion they should have, the raise they should have. Do we wait until they earned it? See, that's what this guy did. He received forgiveness, and then when he saw somebody else who he had an opportunity to forgive, he deemed, well, they haven't earned it. So I'm going to exercise my right. Was he outside of his legal right? Anybody, was he outside of his legal right putting that man in prison who owed him the smaller amount? He wasn't outside of his rights. The mathematics of what was deserved and earned would have said, you're, you're okay to do that. But God's response was, you have been forgiven, so you forgive. We look at the story of King Saul. How many remember King Saul? We know what eventually happened. Saul was installed as king and then his dynasty didn't exist. He was replaced by David. But do you realize that Saul was originally called to be the beginning of a dynasty? His family was legitimately set up by God to be the heirs. What happened? When God used David to slay Goliath, which, by the way, God would have used Saul if Saul would have stepped up. But the Bible says the women sang and they danced. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very upset. This is 1 Samuel 18, 8. He was very angry and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Now, he immediately assumed that now this is going to happen. And it, and it says, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. What did we looking at? We're looking at a root of bitterness taking root. Bitterness taking root right there. You helped me out, but then everybody praised you too much for it. So I am now jealous of you. I resent you. And it says, and it happened the next day. How long did, did the devil wait to take this opportunity? The next day that a distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. And so David played music with his hand at his other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand and Saul cast the spear for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Saul lost the kingdom for his kids because of a root of bitterness. 
And the Bible shows us that when he was bitter, that opened the door for spiritual attack. Bitterness is a mega, mega enemy of a solid Christian walk. And I believe one of the number one reasons that people hold on to bitterness is because they are waiting for that person to earn their forgiveness. It has nothing to do with that. Nothing. I don't forgive them because they earned it. I forgive them because I have been forgiven. Someone once said that bitterness holding on to bitterness to punish someone. It's like burning down a house to kill a rat. You damage yourself in hopes of punishing them. Our unforgiveness, we're trying to keep them in that cage, but in order to keep the bars there, we have to stand there holding them. Who's behind bars now? We're there. One of the reasons, again, now use, use wisdom. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. If there's a situation and you're like, well, well, why did this happen to me? Or why did this happen to my grandmother? Why did this happen? It's possible that bitterness was a part. I'm not saying that it is. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Is there, do you have bitterness in your heart? Are you holding grudges that you are not letting go? Have you allowed the enemy a foothold in your life by choosing not to forgive? Or is your situation something totally different? Proverbs 13, verse 20. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but the companion of fools shall be destroyed. Reason, I think I'm on number eight, is wrong associations. Bad company, poor choice in friends, however you want to phrase that. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. What does that mean? If I have a glistening white cloth and my dirty muddy shoe and I rub them together what happened they're both dirty we have this idea the bible talks about jesus jesus associated with sinners that's it's but there's a difference the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. We know we're not to marry someone who doesn't believe like we do. But then, where is, where is that line? How do I choose my friendships? My, you know, oldest son is about to go to college. I hope that I have managed to point out the value in choosing good friends. Because I recognize what the scripture tells me. 
that my, the people I surround myself with will impact my future. They will help cho- my, me form my decisions, make choices. They actually say if you take your, I forget if it's five or ten, you know, closest friends, average their salaries, you'll almost always hit yours. And somebody says, well, that's just because you met them all at work and you all get paid the same thing. However, it's kind of a chicken or the egg type of thing. If you want to raise, you know, think differently, do different things, I, I can... It's, it's funny now to think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell on my parents a little bit. When I was a little kid, like, my parents were penny-pinching poor. Like, we were so, like, frugal and tight and, and, you know, just very, very tight. But I watched as my dad purposely got around different, like, business people and asked them about their investing habits and what they do and, and did all of that. And over the years, and I, I, I'm not saying anything that he hasn't said publicly, but over the years, he makes more money from investments than he does from his job as a pastor. Because he purposely got around people who were doing these things, and when they would go into an investment, they'd be like, oh, hey, Dwayne, you, tr- you wanna get in on this thing that we're gonna do where we're gonna invest in a company that's gonna do that? And he's like, okay. Not every one of them worked, but enough of them did. I've watched as because of the people he chose to associate with, he challenged, they challenged him to do things that he wouldn't have been challenged to do had he chosen to be around people who were exactly like him. We choose. Now, I was using an example of finances But boy, is that true when it comes to spiritual things. I need to find people who have similar desire to please God like I do, who want to grow in the Lord like I do. Linda was telling me yesterday about how Steve came by to pick up the the pastries that we have there, and then they got to talking, and pretty soon they were praying for two hours. Those are godly friendships. People who will challenge you. Saul lost so much because of his disobedience, because of his lack of choosing the right people around him as well. Let me see. Wrong associations. Number nine. We're talking about Saul again. Saul knew what God had told him. If you remember, God said, when you go to this certain city, don't do like you normally do and, and, and take all the belongings and bring them back and do whatever. He says, this city is a sacrifice to the Lord. I want you to leave everything there. I don't know if you remember this. He said, you destroy it all. And Saul took what he wasn't supposed to. And then he was waiting for Samuel to come 
to, to, to offer a sacrifice to God and Samuel wasn't on time. There weren't any cell phones. So he decided to do it all himself. Again, he knew what he was doing wasn't the right thing, but he got impatient. He did it anyway. He chose to do wrong. And Samuel said, because you have lost the king, this, you have lost the kingdom and your descendants won't have it. It wasn't God's original plan that David take over after Saul. God's original plan was that Saul's children would have a destiny, a dynasty, excuse me, and a destiny. But his choices cut it out. We see the story of David. You remember David? How many of you, if I say David and Goliath, good. Next on the list would be David and Bathsheba. <laughs> Few people had it. He is famous for that mess up. You know something? He wouldn't have even messed up if he'd have just done what he was supposed to do. It says in 2 Samuel 11, 1, it says, and it happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle. So he was supposed to be out to battle that David sent Job his servant, so Joab, so he sent Bathsheba's husband out to battle, but he didn't go. And David remained in Jerusalem. And then the story goes that David, one evening, arose from his bed and he's walking around on the roof. He's bored because he's not anywhere he's supposed to be. And he saw a woman bathing and she was very beautiful to behold and we know the rest of the story. He commits adultery with her. She gets pregnant. He calls back her husband so that the husband will think it was him but the husband feels bad going to be with his wife when all of his soldiers are out in the battlefield so he doesn't go back home. And it's obvious then that it wasn't his child because it couldn't have been. And so David then instructs the armies to withdraw from him and in essence kill him at the, with the sword of the enemy. David makes all of that mess because he chose to disobey. Our choices matter. Our choices matter. When we do right. The Bible talks about the blessing and the protection that comes on us. When you choose to disobey, you are stepping outside, and many times, that protection. You are stepping outside of that. And when, when something happens, it's not that God wasn't trying to protect you it's that he said this is where you go and then you went over there number eight Philippians 4 6 says be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God when do we let our requests known be known to God in everything in everything. James 4.2 says, you desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Here's, here's a, just a simple one. Sometimes 
Bad things happen because we never brought God into the equation with prayer in the first place. Again, I'm not saying that everything that bad happened because someone forgot to pray. But I'm saying there are times when bad things happen because someone didn't bother to pray. They didn't think it mattered. They thought, I got this. I can handle this. And then afterwards, they're like, oh, suppose I should have prayed about it. <laughs> my dad and my brother were, were boating on Lake Michigan with a friend. He's a boat captain. It's, it's his boat. And he hit a giant log about a mile off from shore. Didn't realize it, because you know, if you've ever ridden on a boat in those big waves, you're just constantly smashing, and every wave sounds like you hit a log. But the motor started to sputter, and so he slowed down to see if he could hear what was happening, and then the water just rushed in the hole, and the whole boat starts to sink. And my dad throws a life jacket on the little guys, tosses them out, and the captain says, I don't know how to swim. When your boat is sinking isn't when you learn to swim. Learn to swim beforehand. He called the, the, the mayday, mayday, gave him the, the, the coordinates. But by the time the Coast Guard got there, the boat was just a bow sticking straight up. So often, we leave prayer to like the afterthought. Like the boat is already sunk and then we're like, oh, I think I want to pray about this situation. No. Make a habit of praying in advance. Philippians 4.6 in the Amplified says, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, definite requests with thanksgiving continue to make your wants known to God. The Bible says that he knows what we desire before we pray, but he also says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. He says that faith speaks. Faith doesn't just think or believe something. Faith needs to move our mouth. We need to pray. We need to say, God, bless this situation. God, protect us on this trip. God, do these things. We need to speak those things. The message translation says, do not fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praise shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Joshua 9, 3 through 4 says, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys and old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet and old garments on themselves and all, all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. And then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So this story is it's fascinating. 
because it demonstrates a bunch of different principles. First, it demonstrates that they didn't pray about it. So the Israelites are coming into the promised land where God told them to go. And, and one of the cities that they're supposed to conquer, one of the places that God has given them to live, hears that, that God is helping them to take out their neighbors one by one. And they say, we, let's pretend like we're from a really far away place, get them to promise to make a pact with us, a treaty with us, and then we'll reveal that we're actually right next door. And they showed up and they, they, they put on a show. We just read how they, they purposely brought, packed their bags with moldy bread and they, they put worn out clothing and they did everything so that it would look like they had come from a super far off. And the Israelites, when they were asked, didn't bother, to pray. oh, I got this figured out. I don't need to pray about this. What to do is obvious. We, we, we don't mind having friends in faraway places. They didn't pray. But the result was then that they did make a treaty with these people that turned out to be right next door. And they had to honor their, their treaty. But it was a mess. Why did they end up in that problem? They didn't pray about it. The Bible says straight up. They didn't ask the Lord. Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. It's interesting to me that the Bible says God is not mocked. It would be a mockery to say of God that the principle of sowing and reaping which he established doesn't work. There are consequences to our actions. When we plant seed, we get a harvest. Hosea 8, 7, they sow to the wind and reap a whirlwind. They stalk, the stalk has no bud, it shall never produce meal. If it should produce, aliens would swallow it up. Talking about the... The trouble. Now, number 10, isolation. Proverbs 18.1, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Some people ask, do I have to go to church to be a good Christian? You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't. But the Bible says that we are not to be alone. Do you realize God made Adam in, in the garden? He was in paradise in a perfect place. He was a perfect person. He hadn't even sinned. And God looked at him and said, it is not good for him to be alone. We are created for community, for relationship. It is, it is how God made us. And when we pull away and isolate ourselves, the Bible says that we rage against wisdom, wise judgment. Samson is an incredible example of someone who kept everyone at a distance. When he found 
You know, notice, all the girls he fell for were prostitutes. It's not like they had a regular dating relationship. It's not like he met these people, these women and got to know them and met their family and was like, you know what, I think that, yeah, this is a good fit. No, he had to pay them to be his friend and then he kind of enjoyed it enough. He said, I think I should marry her. And his parents were like, bad idea. At his wedding, they had to pay people to come stand in as his friends. That's what the Bible says. Samson didn't have friends. And he did stupid stuff. How many agrees? Samson, not a brilliant guy. But I don't think that he lacked the brain cells. It's not like God gave that gift to, to Samson and Samson was incapable of functioning with it. No, Samson distanced himself. Whatever, why, why, I don't know. Did he think that because of his gift he was too good for anybody else? I, I don't know. But it's clear that's what he did. He had to pay people to be his friend. Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked leads them astray. We are created for relationship. When the enemy attacks us, one of the first things he will do is try to distance us from others. How many of you remember the story of the demoniac of the Gadarenes? This is, this is the demon-possessed man who Jesus cast the demons out of him and he cast the demons into some pigs and the herd of pigs jumped into the sea. But do you remember what it said about him before? It said that he was demon-possessed, that he lived up in the, the caves, up in the mountains by himself, that he would li lived in tombs, that he would cut himself, that he would run around with no clothes, that when they would capture him and chain him, through the power of those dev dem demons, he would break steel chains, or iron probably at the time. He would break them. The, the demonic presence in his life wanted him as far away from other people as possible. Why? Because we were made for relationship and community. And when we isolate ourselves, we rage against wisdom. And the results of raging against wisdom won't be positive. 2 Samuel 21, 15, it says, when the Philistines were at war against, again with Israel, David and his servants went with him down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Then Ishbinab, Binab, excuse me, Ishbibinab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. And he went, and he was gonna kill David. And you know how it wasn't David? David was a giant killer. But it wasn't David who killed the giant, it was David's friends. David, even though he was a giant killer, needed his friends by his side. The Bible talks about 
our relationship with God, and, and, it, and we. Have you ever noticed? The Bible, Jesus said, pray like this. See if you catch what I'm changing here. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What did I? Our Father in heaven. And he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me, us, this day our daily bread. And forgive me, us, our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our relationships matter. Next, 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Anybody have that on their fridge? Embroidered on a towel, maybe? Cross-stitched on the wall. The Bible says that we will suffer persecution. Hebrews 10.34 says, For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. There will be times when bad things happen to good people because they're good people. It's called persecution. There will be times when precisely because we are good people, it is happening. So they departed, Acts 5.41, so they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, look here at 1 Peter 2, verse 20. I need to wrap things up here shortly. It says, for what credit is it if you are beaten for your faults and you take it patiently? He says, if you did something wrong and suffered the consequences and then suffered them patiently, what credit is that? He says, but when you do good, and suffer. If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. There will be times that because of your stance as a Christian, you may be targeted at work. And God says, when you suffer because you did good. I know people who, who after they got saved, they admitted, I used to pick on the Christians at my work to see how far they would go in forgiving and being kind. Like, you do what? What's the point? I mean, I'm like looking at like, you, why would you do that? They were nice people. Why did you? Well, I just wanted to see how real their faith was. There will be times. You may be missed for a promotion, passed over, ridiculed. You may be fired. Because 
Not because you did the wrong thing, but because you did the right thing. The Bible says in Matthew 5.10, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Oh, we're excited to be blessed for, persecu- for, for, for it, but realize that blessing comes after a persecution. A persecution, by definition, is pretty much the opposite of a blessing. And we're there, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, sometimes it's because they're good people. But here's what we gotta remember. Christmas morning isn't over yet. When, when we are persecuted because of being righteous, God says, fear not, I will make up for it. Last week, we read the scripture that says, on the day of my judgment, not necessarily that exact moment, but God is watching and he's keeping track. Hebrews 11.25 says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. As Christians, we need to recognize and have a longer perspective than how does this affect me this morning by noon. But recognize, when we do the right thing, it will reap a harvest at some point, and we need to trust God. He knows, and it's coming. First Peter 5.10, may the God of all grace who called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. After you've suffered a while, sometimes bad things happen to good people because they're good people. But God says, I'm watching, I'm keeping track, keep an eternal perspective, don't worry. If you look back, in, in last week I talked about the perspective and recognizing that God does not miscount. Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. There will be a reckoning, just won't always be instant. And the last point that I think I'm going to make is refusing to take counsel. Proverbs 11:14, where there is no counsel, the people fail, but in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. There are so many biblical examples, and we don't have time to go into them all. But when we ask for wisdom, remember I talked to you about James. James tells us that that is a valid prayer. Pray for wisdom. I want every one of you guys, pray for wisdom. You will get it. But you know how sometimes that wisdom comes? Counsel. God sends people along and says, you know what? That is not a good idea. This is a good idea. This is a, this is a good example. You say, well, I I think this is a good idea. I'm just going to go for it. And everyone you ask about it says, nope, I don't think that's what God is saying. Uh, Nope, nope, nope. You better double check, triple check, and quadruple check when all the godly counsel says no. If you're single and you're considering getting married, and you met someone two weeks ago and they are just amazing. Fantastic, got no problem with that. 
but seek counsel. And if everybody around you is like, man, I see red flags all over the place. Oh, but you don't know how I feel when I'm around them. Don't, don't be looking at us, why did God, why did God give me that person? God warned you 15 times. You just wouldn't listen. All right, we'll close. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you and we recognize what your word says, that every good and perfect gift comes from you in whom there is no shadow of turning. We recognize that you have <clears throat> plans and purposes for each and every one of us, that you desire to bless us, to use us. And we recognize <clears throat> that the path may be bumpy, that there may be persecution along the way, but Lord, help us to recognize that persecution for what it is, to have a eternal perspective and to recognize your hand in our lives. Lord, give us peace, give us strength. Lord, give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, I thank you. I speak blessing over everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen.